absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you talk about experience, and you mentioned a moment ago, they were losing the senior guy. You know, I talk about this sometimes in some seminars. I say it's important to get that guy back. What I mean by that, yeah. invite him for breakfast, Absolutely. invite him for lunch, 100%. and let mm-hmm. him tell a story or two, and just listen, and take mental notes, take handwritten notes, and just the, when you open that door for him, and he starts to talk, you shut the TV off and let him talk about the fire in 1978, or 1989, whatever it may be, yep. and I guarantee you're going to be picking up a lot of good points. I, l- I love that, because you know those <laughs> relationships then on the back step or on that front porch or up on that gooseneck ladder getting making your way to that roof, those relationships matter. Yes, absolutely. That's when, that is, that is the epitome of when it matters most. Mm-hmm. The trust, the friendship, the laughter, the, the sadness, all of that is getting that job done and doing that job correctly. That's, and I think it's important though, in addition to what you're saying, yeah. if you have an experience like that, like I did with Frankie, you take that and you pass that on. And you pass the passion. You have an obligation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And hopefully somebody else will have a Frankie that maybe yeah. I introduce them to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hey everybody, it's Rob National Fire Radio. Very excited to be here in the studio tonight with Jeremy, Tucker, Heather, and our guest. It's Deputy Chief Michael Turpak from the Jersey City Fire Department. That's correct. Retired. Yes, sir. So, I'm I'm excited. You I've heard no- a lot of good things here. Jeremy's been like a schoolgirl, just giddy. You know about having <laughs> you on the show, uh, Chief. I'll tell you this. Um, there, there's, there's, we've had such an incredible cadre of guests to come on this show, and uh, in the two and a half years we've been doing this, I consider myself fortunate every single time I get to sit in a seat and, and share stories. Maybe have a couple pops share some stories. And um, tonight is one of those nights where I'm super excited because you and I have never met before. No. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, right. you know, I, I, we, you, listen, you, you have, uh, you've been doing this for um, a few years now. Um, it's not my first day, but, uh, you know, we just, our circles, I guess, haven't met. Right. But I think after tonight, uh, you know, certainly we'll be. Well, I'm uh, glad we finally did. Absolutely. Yes. And, um, you know, so I, I want to thank you for being here tonight with us. Um, you know, this is, this is a, a true pleasure for myself and talking to Rob tonight and Tucker and Heather about, you know, who you are. And, and I don't really know you that well. I know you through what you've done, your contributions for the fire service. Um, you know, not only are you a retired deputy chief out of Jersey City, New Jersey, but you're also an author. Penwell, fire engineering, you name it. I mean, you are certainly mixed up in, in, the, in the training crowds and with your literature that you've published and, and authored and so on. So I just want to thank you, first off, for taking time out tonight to sit with us. Honestly, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm finally glad that we were able to that, have a meeting and hook up. You know? Absolutely. And, and a little side note to that, right? We were supposed to do this once before. I had to postpone it for uh, some reasons. Um, and we've chatted back and forth for a while, right. too, to get this date together but uh, after hearing uh, you're more busy now after retirement than uh, you were yes somewhat (laughs) yes I mean I I, I am busy Uh, I'll say this quite honestly I I do miss the firehouse very much I'm Um, sure I miss the guys and girls I miss the conversations at the kitchen table I miss the bells the whistles Um, I don't miss the administrative side you know know, people tell me I couldn't hire overtime for the day or whatever that may be but I do miss the firehouse, yeah. to put it simply. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, I, I'd like to think a night like tonight hopefully will help you, uh, you know, feel like you're back there for a little bit. I loved and, walking uh, in the front door tonight. I really did. <laughs> That's cool. I had a blast. That was That's fun. cool. Well, welcome in. Thank you. So I want to hop in, man. An hour, hour and a half podcast goes, goes super quick. So what I want to hop in is I really just want to get the backstory of who, uh, you know, uh, Deputy Chief Turpak is and, and where you came from and how you got to where you are. Okay. Um, I'll start at the beginning, Yeah, I guess. please. I'd um, love to hear it. I'm originally from Pennsylvania, to be quite honest with you. I was born in Carbondale, Pennsylvania, outside of Scranton. Right. Uh, okay. And my dad, believe it or not, talking about family, he was a volunteer firefighter in a local town in Mayfield, PA. Now, I don't know if I had that in my genes from him. Uh, when we moved to Jersey, I was only one. When we moved out here, obviously, because there was more opportunity for employment. Um, at the young age of 8, 9, 10, I was chasing fire trucks on my, on my, on my bicycle. Such um, a common theme yeah, in honestly, this right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, at the age of 16, the day I turned 16, I banged on the door of Singac Fire Company 3, not too far from here in Little Falls, and I said, let me in. I know you're in there. Let me in. <laughs> and they did. Uh, and, you know, I became a junior firefighter, auxiliary firefighter at the age of 16, back, back in the early 70s. Wow. Okay. And I think from there I caught the fever, caught the bug, and I said, I want to be able to do this for a living. And that's how it started. Yeah. And it you just know, took off from there. It's nice to see, one, that a junior program existed in the 70s yeah. to get younger kids hooked, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that's fantastic. And, uh, and now, you know, junior programs are everywhere. But in the 70s, uh, that was kind of rare. Yeah, yeah we well, started ours in 72. And there were a couple of ours in the mutual aid, just like that. That's good. Yeah. That's real good. Yeah, ours was back in the 70s, Little Falls was pretty big. I mean, you had to follow all the rules, of course. You couldn't do certain things. But you know, just to be able to put the helmet on, the turnout coat, and jump on the back of the truck and kick kinks out of the hose, I was ecstatic. Yeah. And then when they let me, eventually, as I got a little older, put the breathing apparatus on, uh, that's it. All bets are off after the that. Hook. Yeah. 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 I got the hook. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of years in uh, Little Falls, you got the hook. And then uh, you said, hey, I want to do this. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I found a way. Well, tell me the way. Tell me how it went down. Oh, God. All right. So uh, I would say 1976, I started as a volunteer in Little Falls. In 1978, I became an auxiliary firefighter in the city of Newark. I would ride with Ladder 3 uh, on West Market in Hudson, for any of the Newark people listening. I would ride every Saturday and Sunday with a certain tour, if they were working. Right. And loved it. You know, just fell in love with that type of atmosphere. 1981, I got hired in Jersey City as a career firefighter. 1984, I took a leave of absence from Jersey City, got hired in the city of New York. Is that right? Yes. I went to New York for a short period of time. Great departments, great people, huge organization. Right. But to be quite honest, I was only over there for a few months. I resigned and came back to Jersey City for a number of reasons. Uh, The contract was a little bit better on the Jersey side. Uh, so that made a difference, you know, you know, looking to start a family. So that monetary thing came into play. And in the 80s, Jersey City was literally being incinerated. And what I loved about Jersey City and the Jersey City people who may be listening will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a very diverse city. Yeah. I say diversity from its inventory of buildings. In Jersey City, you could go to a high rise at 9 o'clock in the morning. You could be in the subway at 10. At 11 o'clock, you could be in a church, a row frame, a brownstone on a container ship, we had everything within our footprint that you can experience over a course of years. So I thought, in addition to making a few more dollars, it probably would make me a better or well-versed fire officer someday. Sure. And I think it helped, I really yeah. did, yeah. 
Yeah, so diver- like, I, I think the diversity of Jersey City. I mean, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people listen to us from all over the country. Right. So, you know, to understand what Jersey City is, Jersey City is directly across the Hudson River. Right across from Lower Manhattan. Lower Manhattan right. right. So you're staring at Statue of Liberty, World Trade. Yep. Right. So all of that. Uh, you have a beautiful Liberty State Park, which yep. is right on the water. Beautiful. Yes. Gorgeous. And Jersey City's gone through a resurgence too. I mean, when in the eighties. It was, it was not, burnt. It was a tough place to be. Yeah, it was but a tough if town. If you wanted to be a firefighter, it was probably it was one the of the good places to It be. was the yeah. good place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a lot so, of fun. I, I believe that. And I also <laughs> think, too, and correct me if I'm wrong, just understanding and knowing what I know, um, it's a small enough, it's, it's big enough to have plenty of opportunity, but it's small enough that you're going to be able to get that opportunity. Yes. I mean, the city has changed, as you mentioned, uh, in different ways. I remember when I started in 1981, we had over 800 firefighters in the street. Now, we are not an EMS-based fire department. We would sister up with EMS, which is a private contractor. They probably had, at that time, roughly 200 EMS people. So okay. 800 firefighters, 200 EMS. Now, over that time, the city has you know, went through a, a downgrade, I should say, and the fire department, of course, was pretty much chopped up. Uh, when I left three years ago, we were down to a little over 600 people. Okay. You ask my opinion, they should probably be around 900 because the city has grown significantly. Yeah. I mean, the population density, it's 300,000 people and about 14 square miles. Right. That's pretty significant. Yeah, that's insane. And uh, high rises, we didn't have many when I started, and now they have a 200 plus topping out at 80 stories. So yep. the challenges are there. It's like a mini, actually the joke was, it was, they used to call us the sixth borough of New York. We had everything New York had, but on a smaller footprint. With a lot less firefighters, of course, yeah. but at the same time. Right. So, but I enjoyed it because I said each and every day you can be, you didn't know what was coming that day, whether it was something on the 40th floor or something that was four stories below grade in the subway. So it was different, unique, and it allowed us to get a big playbook. Yeah. Chief, yeah. what was your first assignment in Jersey City? Out of the academy? Yeah. I was assigned to Engine 10, which is what used to be in the old 4th Battalion or the 1st Battalion. It's in the Lafayette section of the city. Bit more central, but southern at the same point. Do you do you remember who like your senior guys were that took you in? Oh yes, oh my god, yeah, absolutely. There was one guy. Um, I haven't. You know, that's, that's a, I'm glad you asked that question because I haven't talked about him for a while. And like probably you might even get a little emotional. He was a a great friend and a mentor. His name was Frankie Salerno, and I worked with Engine Ten. We were sisted up a ladder twelve in the same house. And what I would do is you would have to work a couple months in an engine as a probie and then a couple months in a ladder you know, to get well-versed on both sides. And when I went to ladder 12, which is right across the hall, I mean, on the apparatus floor, literally, this gentleman took me under his wing. Uh, he was kind of like a surrogate father. I mean, he taught me everything there would be to know about ladders, fire escapes, roofs, uh, and we got, became very good friends. Actually, to further the story, um, he worked as a part-time roofer in the city. So he got me a part-time job on my days off with him as a roofer, a commercial roofer. So we would be putting roofs on commercial buildings on our days off, but we would be talking about if we have a fire here at this building, watch the parapet wall, <laughs> watch the that. gooseneck right. ladder. Yep. And ironically, we did have a few fires in some of the buildings <laughs> that yeah. we put the roofs on. And, uh, it was just a great learning lesson. Uh, he passed away uh, from cancer, you know, from the job. And it was, uh, it, it knocked me back for a while. But I, I haven't talked about him in a while. I wrote a few articles about him over the years. Outstanding. About, you know, the ladder company duties and his name would be in my articles. So uh, 
Frankie Salerno sticks out as a big, big pitcher for me. How important was that in your career to have a senior man give you the time to, you know, to, to tutor you to become who you are today? Extremely important. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's, it's a must, whether it was 40 years ago or whether it's today. You have to have people like that. Yeah. Um, we were lucky enough back in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s. We call them the war years, and I'm sure everyone's talked about that, that you had enough work that you were learning pretty quickly you know, on a day-to-day basis. But still, even though you were getting work, you still needed someone to navigate the whys and why not. Sure. So yeah. you didn't want to, you know, I remember him saying to me on the top of a fire escape, getting access to the roof, he would say, take that gooseneck ladder and pull on it. And I'm like, I, and one time I pulled on it and it was not leg bolted in. And, you know, and I shared that after Frankie had passed with other people. I said, you pull on that gooseneck, make sure it's in there. And it, it still happens today. Yeah. For good reason, mentors are extremely valuable. What, oh, I what, agree. What was the age difference when you came on versus, versus your, your, your senior guy, was it? You know, when I came on, they, there was a hiring freeze for a number of years. Yeah. In my class in 81, there were 75 of us in a probie school. Um, and Frankie, the gentleman I just mentioned to you, I was just turned 21 when I got hired. I would say Frankie was probably 40, 42, 43, 44, 45. Yeah. And he was probably a firefighter at that time, a good 20 years. Yeah. I think that's the amazing thing that Jeremy talks about it a lot with friends and family about that, um, how we can kind of traverse that age gap pretty quickly in the fire service. But I think that even back in the eighties, knowing that there's a guy with 20 years on, sees you come through the door and, and takes that, takes you under the wing. Oh yeah. It's so important because, you know, unfortunately we're seeing that senior guy kind of slip away. And we talked about a little bit before, but that's one of the other reasons why, you know, we, 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 we came forward with this. But that's that's awesome that he had those you had that opportunity I, and I you know, it's so nice to hear I mean so many guys I think back then and I might be mistaken, I mean I'm I'm not uh, I don't have as many years in, but you know, it was typical to have guys retire as senior men that didn't take the promotional exams yeah. and didn't want to, frankly. Yeah. I have a good, one of my best friends right now, New York City fireman. He doesn't want to be promoted. He yeah. wants to retire as a as a backstep senior man, and that, yeah. and that's and he's super proud of that. And and he you know and he, he walks that line. And and I think that's so important. I think now we're finding you know and we we talk about this so probably too much. I don't know, maybe not enough. But when your senior man has eight years, the the tutelage that he can give that new kid coming in is not going to be what that twenty year man was able to to instill into you especially during that time too. right yeah. well that's it too mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. so i mean those are that's a, you know that, those are hot topics um i have to think that um frank salerno really instilled into you the values of the jersey city fire department but not just the job but also being a man oh absolutely i mean that's that to me is the biggest part right. of of so much of this is that you know, it's you grow up in the firehouse. I got all these young kids in my firehouse, and I'm I'm watching them grow up, and I'm watching them mature and and start to correct their wrongs, and then they they start maturing in the firehouse, and they start you know they move to a lieutenant position or an engineer position, and it's it's nice to see the the maturity come through, and I think in the fire service we need that because the more mature we can make our our uh, our people, the better the job will be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you talk about experience, and you mentioned a moment ago that we're losing the senior guy, you know, I talk about this sometimes in some seminars. I say, 
it's important to get that guy back. What I mean by that, yeah. invite him for breakfast, Absolutely. invite him for lunch, 100%. and let him tell a story or two, and just listen, and take mental notes, take handwritten notes, and just the, when you open that door for him, and he starts to talk, you shut the TV off and let him talk about the fire in 1978. Or 1989, whatever it may be. Yep. And I guarantee you're going to be picking up a lot of good points. Yeah, whatever. We went know. to the West Point Fire Department, and they had a guy that was probably out, what, seven, ten years? Oh, easily. Easily. And he was always around the firehouse, and he always pulled the books out and showed them this yeah. and that. And they were yeah. like, oh, that's why that building's like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. All that kind of stuff. The passion. Can, the passion will always be there. Yeah. And yeah. even what you were saying about taking it outside of the firehouse, like how he got you the job doing roof work, yeah. that's yeah. incredible. What a cool opportunity to blend two worlds of like, not only are you trying to make a living out there, oh. but he's teaching you things that still apply to the firehouse in a totally different setting. He even took me to Atlantic City and showed me how to shoot craps. And I'm not making that, that up either. Yeah. And, and yes, uh, he, was, he was a big Atlantic City guy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. he would say, come on, we're going down to resorts for the weekend. And I would go down you know, at that time with my girlfriend and we'd stay over and he goes, all right, what killed Jesse James? You know, 35 or 45, oh I should say. Oh, my you know. God, that is so good. Yeah, <laughs> so we, uh, we were lessons. very close, yes. Yeah, I, lo Great I guy. love that because, you know, those relationships <laughs> then on the back step or on that front porch or up on that gooseneck ladder getting making your way to that roof, those relationships matter. Yes, absolutely. That's when, that is, that is the epitome of when it matters most. Mm -hmm. The trust, the friendship, the laughter, the, the sadness, all of that is getting that job done and doing that job correctly. That's and I think it's important, though, in addition to what you're saying, yeah. if you have an experience like that, like I did with Frankie, you take that and you pass that on. And you pass the passion. You have an obligation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And hopefully somebody else will have a Frankie that maybe yeah. I introduce them to. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I do enjoy, and Rob likes to ask that question a lot of our guests, and I always like to hear the stories because I will tell you that I think almost every guest that we've had had a very influential senior man who allowed them to flourish underneath them, yep. and that's awesome. So let's move on a little bit. So Engine 10 was your first assignment. Mm -hmm. You got the ability to go to row frames, commercials, churches, high-rises, mid-rises. You've done it. You've been there. It was a great house. It yeah. was right on the... It was right on the border of three battalions. We were right on the border of the fourth, the first, and the second. It's a good spot. And we would go, we'd be on the first alarm assignment to all three battalions. And each battalion was a little bit different than the other based on their building inventory. So downtown was more brownstone, some high-rise subway. Uh, in the Lafayette section where I, you know, the, the house was, we had a lot of row frame, a lot of row brick, some housing projects. When you went to the second battalion on Greenville, a lot of big frames, some yeah. maybe Queen Anne Victorian, yep. but it was a great mix. And each battalion at that time was, for lack of a better word, was burning. So you were going someplace that day. Yep. No doubt about it. What Not kind of that. truck was it? It was a it's 73 Max CF. Nice. Canary Yellow. Oh, that's right. Yeah, if you, 70s. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you look us up, everything back when I came on was yellow. Taxi cab yellow. They called them the Yellow Birds. That's what the buffs called them. <laughs> you couldn't miss the truck coming down the street because it was yeah. yellow. Uh, that lasted for about maybe 10 years, and then they Did went back Did you like that? To... How do you feel about the yellow? <laughs> honestly, you know, honestly, it didn't bother me. Uh, the only thing that bothered me when I got to Engine 10 is it didn't have a federal Q siren. It had an electronic siren. So, of course, talking to my buddies, you know, we got one from a salvage a fire truck. Acquired one. Yes. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. We could say that. And we made good friends with 
guys at the fire department shops, and they mounted it for us. And that took off. On a side note, Chief, let's talk about how important the shops are real quick. Oh, big time, big time. I So through everything that we've done with National Fire Radio, I'm an apparatus guy. So my favorite time is when I get to meet the guys in the shops. And mm-hmm. I've been to a lot of cities and into the shops, and you meet these shop guys. They are probably some of the most important people on the line that the companies need to take care of and recognize because... Yeah. They'll do you those solids, and they'll do you those favors, and they'll get you back in service, and they'll get your rig back on the line. But I, I love the shops. And I tell you, we had a couple of great people, and we went to the extent that we would invite them to all the retirement parties, the yeah. family picnics. Were they civilian? Yes. Yeah, okay. We made sure we got new shirts at 10 and 12. Yep. They got new shirts at, from 10 and 12. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, you know, you go down to shops, and they're all, they're all engine 10, ladder 12, so they were one of us. Yep. And uh, it was easy to get things done also that way. Yeah. You know? Good. So Engine 10, right? The Yellow Birds, man. I mean, yeah, yeah. cruising down with your electric. Now you got a queue on the front. Your career starts to speed up. I got to think it's snowballing. Um, you had ambition and desire to go. Give me your next step. Where'd we go? How did how to, how to play out? Well, there was no doubt that, you know, I wanted to be a boss someday. Sure. But I also realized that I had to make sure... Before I took that oath of office, I knew what the hell I was talking about. I like that. So it, it took a while. And I was a, probably a firefighter, I bet you, 10 to 12 years before I got promoted as a company officer. So during that time, you know, I was able to go to a lot of incidents and hang on the coattails of a lot of the senior members, one that we talked about a moment ago, ask them questions like, why did we do this? Why did that work? Why did that work? So kind of building a, uh, for lack of a better word, a mental notebook. But I also knew in order to get promoted someday, I had to you know, bolster my academics. It was one thing to have the street smarts to a certain degree, but the academics. So that was kind of like the beginning of you know, writing some things. Sure. I started to put notes together, and this is very true. I would have a notebook on private dwellings, you know, handwritten. On if we went to one, what went well, what didn't go well. Because there was not a lot. There was no internet back then. There was no, the books were limited. It was mostly IFSTA books. There right. was really no... You know, I, there was a few good hardcover books out there, but not nowhere near that you have now. So I would kind of, you know, have a book on private dwellings. Then I had a book on multiple dwellings. Then I had a book on churches. Then I had a book on taxpayers. Did you do this on your own, or was this something? Because I know some guys are um, taught to carry a, a journal with them. Mm. Was that something in the Jersey City culture? Hey, no, new no. guys, you should have a journal and... and not to that extent. Okay. Maybe a journal on, you know, writing down some experiences. Sure. Maybe like, you know, having like that type of story. I wanted to write things down from being able to understand what happened and be able to make a decision someday about like that. what happened, yep. or what went right, what didn't go wrong. So that was pretty much the start of, you know, trying to get prepared for the exams and, you know, having a series of notebooks on every occupancy we had in the city that I would be able to frequent. You know, high rise didn't have a big book on high rise because we didn't have a lot of high rises back then. Subway, I had a little book. Even though we had a subway, we didn't frequent the subway. But right. you wanted a book on row frames, tenements, I had a book. You know? and, I, and I constantly updated my notes, you know, scribbling things, based on something new that we found out, something that didn't go well. And uh, I kept, I still have them, honestly. I, I, I hope you do, and I, I'd love to... You can't read my handwriting. But I don't I care. I, listen, you see what I'm doing here. This, <laughs> this to me, this book right here, was something that I never would have, if I told you, if you told me three years ago I was going to keep a journal, I would have told you you're out of your mind. Yeah. I'm 43 years old, been a fireman for 25 years. I've never kept a journal in my life. Yeah. 
and I am I'm a hundred miles an hour, hundred percent of the time. So my brain's constantly going. But what I find is when I started National Fire Radio, was so many things were popping through my head, ideas, things we wanted to do, things I thought of, you know, creativity, uh, people I wanted to talk to, interview, all these things. And then I started realizing that I started forgetting a lot of what I thought were great ideas. And then I'm like, wait, I thought about this the other day and I couldn't, I couldn't place it. And for me, that, that became troubling because I want to remember, I want to be able to remember what I've done. And so for me now, I keep this journal and I have, I have this side and then I also write on it this side, depending on what I'm doing, it's a flip-flop journal. And it is so cool to go back and flip through my pages from a year ago now and see like what we've done, what we've talked about, who we talked to. Yeah. A lot of fun. I, I can't, I cannot recommend that enough to, to the listeners. And we have a lot of young listeners that if you don't keep a journal, keep one. Yeah. I even keep one on my phone and it's great. Like That's a different awesome. note for firefighting, a different note for school, a different note for even like social life. So I don't forget what one friend said and mix it with another. I, I just think there, there's so many things that go down in the firehouse and there's so, and, and Heather in life too, of course, if I kept my life journal, this thing would be like a, you know, phone yeah. Jay's diary. I'm telling you, it'd be out of control. <laughs> but uh, the in the firehouse, <laughs> so many things happen and so many ridiculous scenarios, conversations, and then the learning aspects. Forcing doors, this roof didn't go as well. We threw a ladder on this building, this fire escape, this. I mean, you could just go on and on yeah, sure. with the notes. And, and it just helps you place your experiences. And I'm hoping... 25, another 25 years later from now, I'll be able to thumb back. But oh, I hope I hope you thumb through them every once I in a do, while. And I yeah. do. And, and, like, even, and every time I would add in stuff into the book, whatever the occupancy was, if we had a fire, I would write down the address. Yep. I love the date, that. the time, and awesome. anything that influences, whether it was the weather. And I could tell you a quick story. Um, I go back to my friend Frankie Salerno. We were doing roofing on the side. And in the Greenville section of Jersey City, we put a roof on a, a department store. It was called the Galaxy Toy Store. I actually mentioned it in the book. And the area was a tough area, and the owner wanted us to put, they call, I'm sure you heard of, steel plating on the roof, sure. and then cover it with an actual, you know, the regular paper and the asphalt, and everything that went with that, to prevent people, because what they were doing is, they would cut the roof after hours, jump down like Santa Claus, and throw all the toys up, and they would go out throughout the neighborhood. And I guess after he lost his inventory a few times, he called the commercial <laughs> roofers. I just happened to work for a company, and we put steel plating on the roof. Lo and behold, and this is, I'm not making this up, one New Year's Eve at 8.30 in the morning, a box comes in for that address. Now, I think we were the fourth to engine, a working fire. I'm the pump chauffeur at engine 10, you know, about a block away. So I get the line set up. I'm feeding a couple of big lines in. I, could, I mean, this thing is going good. Yeah. So I scramble down to the front of the building and I say to the battalion chief, now I'm a new kid, I'm only on the job like two years. <laughs> I said, chief, all due respect, he looks at me, he goes, like, like what? Yeah. I said, they're still planning on that roof, the guys are not gonna be able to cut the roof. Kind of snickered at me and I kind of- Thanks I, kid. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> and you could hear the saws hit, you could, I mean, to the point, I didn't see, because I was on a, obviously on ground level, but Frankie was up on the roof, he goes, we're never gonna open this roof. The blades were, it was sparks. Sure. The roof never got open, the building burnt to the ground. But again, I remember the Galaxy toy store yep. like it was yesterday and the fact that it had that roof. We did it as roofers and lo and behold, we had a fire there. 
I never forgot, and I mentioned it in the book. Yeah, yeah. awesome, and I, I love that, yes. I was just say, is there, a, is there with, with the exception of that, is there anything that you've just recently like flipped through the book and you're just like, ha ha, that, that was a good one. Yeah. Oh my God, I could tell you a million stories. Yeah, quite a few. Um, you know, near misses. Yeah. Sure. That I've spun into stories at seminars. And, Did you, um, you, know, you have one fire that was influential to you? Um, you know, I mean, I know you, you talk a lot about the high rise, the high rise that was under construction, but even before that fire, because you were in a command position for that fire. Right. But just as a backstep fireman coming up through the ranks, was there one or two jobs that like really put the job into perspective for you in a way that a uh, little piece of humble pie or something that you were like, man, you know, this job just kicked our ass and it shouldn't have, or, you know, something along those lines. Well, you know, well back in the, in my day, if I could say that, I mean, we didn't wear breathing apparatus. Right. The first two engine would crawl on their belly and push down line as far as they could. And the second two engine would mask up and take the line over. After a few times of us doing that and having to give up the line to a second engine, I said that this ain't happening again. Yeah. So I remember as a young buck, you know, I, in, indirectly, I guess, or directly, whatever word you want to spin, I started influencing others to wear breathing apparatus. And we would take it out of the cabinet on the side. Right. Some of them were in black boxes. Yeah. And every morning at 8 o'clock, I would take my, it was a big monster, Scott, put it against the seat. It had no zymatic clips back then. And when I got in, I just leaned against it. And they were banging on the window. We got a fire. I'd get dressed. When I would leave at 6 o'clock, some of the other members from the other shift, senior, go, put that back in the cabinet. I'm like, well, this is going to help you get, I don't put it back in the cabinet, all right? And I kept doing it, not because I wanted to upset anybody, I just kept doing it, because I, you know, I, at six o'clock, you know, you're running out the door, you, you have to go someplace. And after a period of months, the other guys would leave it there, like, because maybe they were mad, they right, right, right. but they were starting to get the jump, you know, getting the line down the hallway, making the turn, and not having a second do engine take the line. So that was something I was, that was a good thing. Yeah. Now you asked a question about bad things. There have been a, a, quite a few. And one that comes to mind, I was a little bit higher in rank. I remember just getting promoted as a battalion chief. And there's a video of this someplace, I know there is. I came in as the second do chief. We call them like the working fire chief or like the all sure. hands chief. Right. Uh -huh. And it was a fire in a large um, brace frame an older frame. I knew it was braced because it was just a very old building. You know, you got braced, you got balloon, you got platform, you got lightweight frame. And it was a vacant building, all right? So that's an issue. But the fire was in different locations on different floors. And they were digging in. Of course, they're always going to dig in. Sure. Tell you, tell them not to dig in. That's right. And the battalion chief that was running the fire, I said to him, a good friend, I go, Paulie, I said, I think we got to get him out. He looked at me, he goes, that's a and I said, we got to get them out. You got, you got fire on too many floors in different locations. And by the grace of God, he agreed with me. We pulled everybody out, and the building disappeared. Now, people would say to me after the fire, what influenced you? I'll, I'll tell you what influenced me. Vinnie Dunn's books. Yeah. Now, Vinnie Dunn is a great friend. He's a mentor. And I've read everything that gentleman has put out, and he's still putting out great material. Incredible, yeah. And when he talked about braced frame, you know, mortise and tenon joint connections, post, girt, everything that goes with that, and how they collapse without warning, uh, they just violently disappear, especially on lower floor fires, structure fires. And I'm looking at this thing, and I just, I was like, Vinnie Dunn was on my shoulder, like, Mike, Mike, yep. Mike. Yep. And I just said, all right, I go, they're going to be mad. They all come out and go, yeah, 
Yeah, what do they always say? We're making progress, Just give chief. me five more minutes. Right. Just give me five Absolutely. more minutes. Absolutely. And they looked at me and go, not today. And I'm not kidding you when I say this. I couldn't put a timeline on it. It was less than 10 minutes. The building disappeared. Wow. And the looks on everyone's faces, including my own. Yeah. Like, oh, like, like an oh my God type moment. And we probably had about 20 some people digging in on three floors in multiple locations. And they were getting it, but it was just in, in bad spots. So what influenced you to become a student of the craft? You know, that, that's the thing, because there's so, many, there's so many people in the fire service these days that aren't a student, right? They don't, they don't sit back and they don't read Vinnie Dunn's books and they don't appreciate building construction. And I mean, I have your Fireground Size Up Edition 2 right here, right? And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But there's a lot of influences that went into the first edition, let alone the second edition, yeah. right? So, yeah. like, where's that inspiration? Like, and then at that fire, I mean, Vinnie Dunn was, uh, you know, you got the, the good angel, the bad angel, the devil, you know, and, and, and if he's there and whispering in your ear, it's because right. you and your career decided that you needed to know that craft. Yeah. Can you pinpoint? I mean, were you always a good student? Were you a learner? Were you, uh, I mean? No. Okay. I wasn't a good student. I was a borderline high school. I, mean, I graduated, of course. I went to college, and when I went to college, I knew I wanted to be a firefighter, and I wasn't a career firefighter at that time yet. I started college in, 19, I'm gonna give you my age now. I started school in <laughs> 1978, college. Right. And I went to Jersey City State, which is now New Jersey City University. Yeah. I wanted to get my bachelor's in fire science. I knew I wanted to be a firefighter. And in the class was firemen from Jersey City, New Patterson, New York City. And I would just, they would let me just get into conversation. And I, I just sit there and listen with a cup of coffee or a butt. And I go, and they would tell stories, kind of like what we're doing now. And I would just like, my head would tilt and I go, can I ask you a question? And, you know, and I would just listen and learn. And from that, I got the passion, the motivation. I go, well, how can I be like that guy? Yep. Like, he's a lieutenant, he's a battalion chief. And as they would tell stories, I would just listen and listen and listen. And when I was lucky enough to get hired in Jersey City, I did the same thing. Because you always found out after a couple of good flyers who were the key people. Of course. You know? And I would make sure well, I'm going to try to transfer it to that company. Or I'm going to make sure I, when I have a retirement, that I'm going to sit with you know, Captain Louis Simone and grab his. You know, hey, Lou, remember that flyer you had in the projects? Tell me about how you stretched, because it looked like a real tough stretch. And it, it just inspired me and motivated me. And you know, I listened. I just simply listened. Now, I find that super interesting because it sounds like you said that your class had firefighters from all different areas. Were you listening to people just like talking outside of class or was that more like the professors giving you a lecture? I feel like that's a really interesting you know, dynamic. Heather, it was happening. both. It was right. both. We had some great instructors at the college, but the guys would exchange stories with the instructor and then you would take your break or you would go to lunch in between classes. You're never not and, learning. And you're always talking shop, you know, yeah. the, I mean, wherever you are, I mean, whether there's a, it's a classroom or a cafeteria. And it was kind of like I was, they turned, when they stopped, I banged into them. You know, I always wanted to <laughs> learn more. I love that. And uh, it, just, it just fueled me. It really did. And it actually continues to this day. It really yeah, does. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's so important though, uh, <coughs> to say, though, I think um, when you find something that you're super passionate about, and you fall in love with, um, I think you take that with you in every part of your life. Absolutely. And I'm not a big, I'm not a big student. You know, I, I mean, I have my bachelor's degree. I went to college and, you know, I was just your average, you know, student. Like I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't try hard. 
can't say it. my daughter's here. I shouldn't be saying that right now, but she knows. I don't have to, you know, sugarcoat it. But you know, and, and but but in the fire service. But I even think today, I don't know enough about it. I should know more, and I should I should make more of an effort to read more of Vinnie Dunn's books, or even that guy Michael Turpak read read more of his. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Because these are these are firefighters that are. Um, Tried and true in a methodology, and they have stories to share. This is, this to me, Chief, is a storybook with yes. lessons to be told, yes. right? I mean, there, there is, I mean, I've, I, I've gone through it. I, I can't tell you I've read it cover to cover, but from the illustrations to the bullet points to the stories behind it, it's storytelling. Yes. And, you know, if you're not the best student, you can still take a book like this and learn from it because... It's something about the passion of the craft. And when you have the ability to digest that, it just, it, it hits you. Yes. And just like it hit you when you sat in class with all those guys that influenced you, they didn't even know, you didn't even know you were being influenced and they didn't know they were influencing you, but I'm sure that had such an incredible impact to, for you to do a hardcover. Yes. And you can't replace that. You really awesome. can't. But I'll tell you quite honestly, and I'm sure everybody at the table would agree with me, the opportunity today to get information or intel, I can only say intel, is, is huge. I mean, through social media. I mean, even though I'm not in front of a building anymore, and I, as we talked, I do miss that, I'm still able to get out and speak and talk about things. I am still researching things. Absolutely. I'm still going to classes. I'm still asking questions. How important is it now to vet the information now more than ever? It's very important. Right? For, Everything's at your fingertips right now. Yeah, absolutely. How true is everything that you're reading? Yeah. You got to be able to weed through it and, you know, and pick something that's, you know, that's close or near or in your backyard. That's something you're going to frequent. You know, I tell people, if you don't have, you know, a subway, obviously you're not going to read about a subway. If you don't have a, you know, a significant high rise, uh, you're not going to read about a high rise. But if you've got garden apartments with light wood frame construction, which everybody does, yeah. all right, townhouses, or even if you have something that is what I call a low-frequency, high-impact, like a church. No one talks about churches. It's like we don't get church fires every day, thank God. But it's a low-frequency, but when it happens, it happens big. You ever see a small church fire? No, no you never, never do. So, I mean, it's kind of like look out your window. What do you have? And start right. to pick them apart. And how about this? Start a notebook, you know? I love that. Yeah. I love so that. So can I ask about the publishing process, like going from your notebook to a published book? What? What does that all entail? Well, it was a process. I mean, it started with, I remember I wrote an article and I sent it to, oh God, I'm thinking, and I'm going to probably not, I don't know if it was fire rescue, this, I'm going back. Sure. And I sent it in with some pictures and they called me and I was like, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was one of the guys. One of the guys yeah, I thought it was one of the guys. <laughs> I knew that was coming. And they go, no, this is so-and-so from the magazine. We <laughs> yeah, want to publish sure an article. Yeah. And I was like euphoric. And I go, okay, maybe I could do this again. So I wrote quite a few articles before I even entertained doing a book. Because sure. a book to me was a, was a monster project. But once I had it's the nerve, a career project. So. Yeah, you oh, an yes. officer at that time? Like, what level of experience did you I have? I think I was a captain when I wrote the first size of book. First size of book was written in 2002. That's how long ago that was. And it took me all this time because I chose to, you know, 17 years before I came out with the second edition. I didn't want to come out with a, another edition until I felt I was ready, one, yeah. and there was enough of a change of material for me to get it out there. 
and I don't say any ill about any other authors. I respect each and every one of them, but it seems like editions in some books are coming out every two years, and I'm just wondering why that happens. Yeah, I'm sure it's money-driven. I wasn't, you know, I'm not, I don't, you don't make a lot of money doing this. I'll tell you right now. This is, if this was Harry Potter, okay, I'd be making some good money. <laughs> but uh, when you write a textbook, you make a couple dollars, but it's more about the passion, the motivation, and if somebody likes something you wrote, that to me, that's worth millions. Really is. Well, I, that, that right there is the one thing that we should hit on, too, is that you're, you're identifying that, they're like, hey, this isn't Harry Potter, and you're making a couple bucks, but it's not like anybody thinks that this is about a passion because there's so many people that are now in this digital age with social media and everything else, they're trying to make that quick buck. Yeah. And that's like, it, it, it's frustrating because you have to sort through whether this is valid information or not, but then you have to like, you know, and there's like that whole vetting process because yeah. we're not, like this isn't the industry to go make, you want to make a quick buck, go go listen to Gary Vee and turn baseball cards around at a yard sale or something like right. that, but not right. here in the fire service. Well, you're right. Like, as you mentioned, that is the problem with social media. There's abundance of information and you have to vet it all. You sure do. But you know, it's not, maybe that's not a bad thing. No, no, because you know, you do have to be on the channels where people are listening. Yes. And if you're going to influence the next generation, you got to be on their level and in their playing field. And if you choose not to be, you're going to get passed up and yeah. you could be, you could have the best lesson to tell and the best stories to share. But if nobody's going to listen to it, who yeah. cares what your stories are? Yeah, it's true. You know, very true. I will say this. I wrote, I made two, two marks here. Um, you know, we're talking about fireground size up put out by um, fire engineering mm -hmm. um, authored by yourself. This is the second edition that's out right now. Cool picture with you on a handy talkie on the back with your bio. I remember so that on. fire too. That Do you? Fire. Oh, sure. What was that fire? It was a top floor of an H-type, six-story H-type. I have fire out like four windows, and it was getting, it was in the cockloft, and you know the H-types how they get they're set was up. Was it a top floor fire? Yeah, top floor. Always. Yeah. So Every it, single H-type. They're, they're, right. they're never That's on the right. first floor. They're never it's on the first floor. It's always a top floor yeah, yeah. fire in an H, and they're always running the cockloft. Yeah. It's just how it always yeah. plays out. What's the matter? I just wanted you to hold the picture up. The one oh, the one in the back. Oh, one in the back. Yeah. yeah. I was a lot younger there. So, but I will tell you that I, I have two notes jotted down here. Um, one, it's a life's work. You know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm super, uh, super jealous and proud all in the same package that you have something like this because this is a it's, a, it's a testimonial to your career and your experiences. And I, I think that uh, what we hit on before with the journal, it's the beginning stages of putting together your career i mean how many people can say that they have their their careers work wrapped up under a cover that they can they can talk about and go around and share these stories and then elaborate on those stories yeah. and i think that's fantastic chief and I, I thank you i mean i know it's your it's a project and it's a passion but i thank you for that because this has influenced i couldn't probably even i couldn't even fathom how many people this has influenced in their career and I just think it's a, it's a, it's what the fire service is all about, right? It's paying it forward. You pay, you pay homage to what you've learned and to Frankie Salerno who came yeah. before you, who helped you craft who you are. This is, this is the end product of that. Yeah. Also, so, it's so cool. Thank you. You know, yeah, for, for you. everybody that's out there that's either listening or who's in our, in our live feed at the moment, like all of the ones who reach out to us and tell us about how they're fighting counterculture in their fire service and being told to, sit back and like, don't worry about it, kid. Like these, this book in particular is one that like, if you're looking for something to do 
because the guys around you may maybe not be motivated. This is the book to pick up and start cracking open because this will help start building that base for you when you know you until you can get a, a, a situation where you have others that are going to help you build that base with you. When you know th this is uh, this is a print book and you're going to have to buy this and get it. But I think what I'd like to I'd like to offer this out there right now. And I thought one of the coolest things that ever happened to me was. I had a senior guy pass down a book to me. And I think with something like mm -hmm. this, if you have, a, if you have the, the want and desire to learn and better yourself, you have an obligation to, one, get something like this in your library and read it. It doesn't have to be cover to cover, but when something pops up, you can always flip to that chapter, look it up, right? Familiarize yourself. But then what you want to do, too, is you're going to want to take this book and you're going to want to put your name and date in it. And then you're going to take this book and you're going to hand it to somebody that you respect in your firehouse that's a few years behind you, and you pass that forward. What a cool lineage. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So. And what's important to mention, too, to your point earlier, you know, uh, and I, I thank you for complimenting the book. And even though my name is on the book, there's a lot of other people's names. That if I put them in the book, it would take up more pages <laughs> than the content. And I mean, you know, the officers and firefighters I work with over the years have influenced me. And... And a lot of people don't mention these people. The fire photographers, I mean, yep. the, the buffs. These people, I mean, they're invaluable. The pictures, and they would catch it. They would catch something, and I would get this picture, and, and would it be able for me help me add to my notebook personally, and then maybe write a chapter. It's a very good point. Or tell a story. Yeah. So the fire photographers is out there. You people are second to none. I mean, and, and thank God you're there. You know, to capture the moment. People that love the love the uh, love the job and they love to capture that and yep. uh, through capturing that now more than ever we can use that as a reference to only better ourselves. Absolutely, so it's cool. Right. All right, so let's do this. Engine ten, the yellow birds. We become a we come start start wanting to promote through the ranks. We start climbing up. I mean, you ended up as a deputy chief of a very busy city. In New Jersey, mm -hmm. uh, the largest largest city in New Jersey, just or shy, Newark? Just shy of Newark. Newark okay, I think so you, Newark beats us a little okay. bit. Okay, yes. Um, but I mean, I have to think that what a storied career, and, and with that comes a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of great success stories and some turbulence as well. Of mm -hmm. course, um, you know, you talked about uh, you missed the firehouse, you missed the you missed the street, you don't miss town hall so much. No. I get all that, right? Absolutely. Um, Crowning achievements or memorable moments. Um, you know, being a deputy chief of such a large department, I have to think that, uh, you know, every day you went in and, and you had that bell cap. Uh, the one thing I can say is bell caps are prevalent in Jersey City, correct? Yes. Which Very I think so. is fantastic. Yeah. Because that, that doesn't a of, happen everywhere. A lot of pride. Yes. And I love that. So that speaks to the culture. And so when you get in your buggy or your chief's vehicle or command vehicle, whatever, you're, whatever you term it, um, there's a tremendous sense of pride. Very much. Every day. So speak to that a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. I mean, you know, Jersey City seems like a town of culture, department of culture where you grew up through the ranks and you had that culture and that influence. You talked about the different battalions and how the different battalions had a little bit different of how they operated and who they were and so on. But that's all culture and, and, and uh, you know, tradition and pride driven. Right. Talk about that in a deputy chief's position where you're the tour commander for the day. You want to talk about pride. Well, I mean... I was uh, I was proud to say I was a firefighter from Jersey yeah. City. I mean, it was it, it still is. It's a great city. It, yeah. It's a great department, and as good as I know that we were and still continue to be, and that pride every morning with the bell cap on, and I, you know when you get out of the car and 
you walk to the front of the building and uh, you could see the enthusiasm, the motivation. My toughest challenge was to trying to corral them, you know, because they all want to go in the front door, which, you know, I, I worked on that. But even with that being said, we also had deficiencies. Uh, we had things that weren't being addressed. Um, and we talked a little bit before, uh, before we went on air, a little bit about some high rise. Yeah, let's get into that. And I'll, I'll just bring this up because it, it's kind of a great lead in. Um, I think we, we can go toe-to-toe with any department. I, don't, I, I would say New York, Chicago, Boston, anybody toe-to-toe based on our staffing. And anybody in row frames, brownstones, tenements, you know, churches, we were well-versed there because that was our bread meat and potato, butter. Yeah. bread and butter. Yep. But we didn't have a good plan for high-rise because we didn't have that in our backyard. I mean, we had high-rises, but they were mostly limited to, like, high-rise housing projects. And, you know, the class one fire-resistant brick, yeah, concrete, fire and steel usually doesn't get out of the apartment of origin, maybe auto-outs the window a little bit. Well, when Jersey City started to become discovered because of our proximity to New York, they, they leveled the entire waterfront, right, and they started to go up. And they were going up so fast, and every morning, even though I had my bell cap on, I would see another crane in the sky, another crane in the sky. And I would go to our playbook on high-rise, it was dated. It was more for the housing project. Sure. And we started to get a couple fires in these things, and you know, some big buildings, some high ceilings, you know, some unique issues with elevator usage. And lo and behold, uh, one incident, and I do talk about it, I actually dedicated an entire chapter in the book to it because I thought it was that influential. Yep. We had a fire in a high-rise under construction. And I was, happened to be, of course, working in it, and I was the boss. And we had no SOP for that. I didn't have a notebook like I had for private dwellings. or ch- I had nothing. And I don't want to say it was winging it, but there was a lot of times I was kind of like, all right, let me, th- let me throw this at it, see what happens. Let me try this. And everything I threw at it didn't work. And we lost. We were losing the floor. And I, had, I, because I was the boss, and I took this very seriously. I actually get a little emotional when I talk about this. I had people up there. Yeah. And I didn't know it was a cast in place. It was a formwork fire on the 17th floor, and I did not know if they poured the floor that day. And this thing took off like a wildland fire. I mean, it was just you know, dried out timber. Uh, it was on the 17th floor, the wind took it, and I couldn't get them down fast enough, to the point where, and this is, as I say true, this is also very true, I had to get them to a certain floor to dig in to hunker down, because it was dropping around them just to get water above them to slow it down, to buy them time, because there was no elevator. It was a, a concrete stair to maybe the 12th floor and wooden makeshift ladders between 12 and 17. Building under construction. It was a horror. It was a yeah. nightmare. And I was, I'll tell you, in 44 years, it was the, probably the worst night of my life. Yeah. Now, they, people talk about you know, Queen Anne's or tenements. Yeah, difficult fires, people jumping out windows. Survivable. But we were, I don't, we kind of were used to that I a little it. bit. This I, I was it. not used to. After that fire, it took me about a year talking to myself quite a bit. You know, I got to figure this out. We got to get a better playbook. And I looked, there wasn't a lot of stuff out there. And even though there was a social media was up and ramped up at that time, not a lot of good material, in my opinion, on buildings under construction of height. There was a lot of great high rise stuff, mm-hmm. but they were buildings that were finished. They had certificate of occupancy, they had a sprinkler system, they had a detection system. You know, they had more in play regarding protection. Working fire pumps. Absolutely. Yeah. So we kind of wrote our own. And it took about a year. We wrote it. And we vetted it amongst the big brass. 
we got, I remember the chief of the department at the time, Chief Michael O'Reilly, great friend. I just talked to him the other day. I, said, I go, what do you think? He goes, this is, we got to get this out. And we, got a, and we developed a procedure for this. We reinvented fire prevention inspection procedures for this. That's got to be part yeah. of it. Oh, yeah. it was huge. Yep. And then I started to look at our high-rises that were finished. I go, we don't have a good playbook on that. And, of course, because I had a passion for this, I sure. wrote some on this. The chief of the department at the time said to me, you know what? In addition to your duties as a tour commander, you're going to be the, the new first and only high-rise coordinator for Jersey City. I go, I go is there any additional money Yeah, that? do I get anything for that? No more sleepless nights. He said no. Yeah. But the short of the long is, Jeremy, it, it was a project that lasted about two more years, and it was probably the biggest project I was ever involved with, and it turned out to be... A, a good manual that is still used today by the guys and gals in Jersey City, and they're yeah. continuing to add and make it better. Very influential incident that turned into a big part of my career. Yeah, and I, and I have to think though that that's the that's the piece of that puzzle, right? Is that you lived that that you said that was the longest night of your career, probably. Horrible night. So that pushed you to better the standard, right? Absolutely. I mean, that raises the bar when you. When you have some of those nights where, or a night like that where, you know, by the grace of God, I mean, I, I think of when you start talking about high rises under construction, I think of the Deutsche Bank building in, in New York City. Yeah. But my fire was a few months after that. Okay. Yeah. So, and by the grace of God in New York City, they didn't lose 15 guys. I mean, that was, they had companies, by the grace of God, getting out of there. And they, and we, they still I, lost. I believe they yeah. lost two guys. Yes, two guys yeah. at that yeah. fire. And so, you know, it's... It, it's prevalent, and and with the boom of construction in our area, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just the skyline's changing well, every single you know, I mean, day. We're it's all incredible. from Jersey. Anybody right. who's not from Jersey has to know Jersey cannot go out. Anymore. Correct. It's going up. We're going up. Well, yeah. I, I was just going to say that's the one thing that for the viewers and the listeners out there is that we're not talking that all of a sudden you had a high rise or you know another one. It was like when you say the waterfront disappeared. <coughs> And then everything popped up, and like you, every morning you put that bell cap on, and there was a another crane in the sky. I mean, it, it's really hard to to put into words how within a year the skyline literally changed. I have pictures when I do some high rise seminars because I do a couple. I have pictures taken from the Manhattan side in the late seventies and eighties, looking across Jersey City, and it was a blighted waterfront, abandoned factories, warehouses, railroad terminals. There was a nothing over four stories. It was all old heavy timber. And I would take that picture, and then I would bring a picture up into the 90s, and they couldn't believe it was the same city. From the same view from Manhattan, yeah. looking across New Jersey. And then go into the 2000s, right? <laughs> and so a uh, little craziness, too, is if when you're out of this area, you're kind of disconnected a little bit. But after 9-11, so much downtown Manhattan moved across the river yeah. to Jersey City. Sure. Uh, it was less of a target hazard exposure, if you will, right? With not being New York City. So that spurred even more economic growth yeah. and, and height. It was also prior to 9-11. It, it was cheaper to rent space. Too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Far. absolutely. And I think one of the other things that I think of is I know in just uh, my experiences down in PG County in Hyattsville, they started building high-rises pretty quick. So this is not just an issue that can happen in Jersey City. There's no. any place in the country and experience a sudden influx in real estate and for whatever reason, start building up pretty yeah. quickly. And again, it's like the church I mentioned earlier. It's kind of like one of those low frequency, high impact events. Yeah. You're not going to get one every day, but when you get one, you're going to remember it. Mm -hmm. right? You just hope that you get out of it on, you know, 
without bumps, bangs, and bruises. How many more residents did you gain over that period of time? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Tens of thousands. I couldn't give you an exact number. I mean, I don't, I don't know the population during the heyday. It was probably close to 400,000 at one point, you know, way back when. It went down very low to the low 200s. I think now with the next census, it's going to be you know, 300,000 plus. Again, that's what you know about, of course. Now, did you yeah. gain, or you said you lost firehouses? Oh, firehouses. I'm talking about population. No, I, I did. Okay. But during that time, so now you have a larger population. Yes. But your fire department's getting smaller. Correct. Right? Yeah. We had about 30 companies, fire companies, when I came in the door. 30, 31, if I can remember correctly. We went down as low as 24, I believe, at one point. And they would play a game... They talked about not being happy with the administrators, shirts and ties. You know, again, me being a tour commander, I would have to brown out up to five companies a day crazy. before they let me hire overtime. Right. And I was, you know, I, of course, I voiced my opinion every day. I documented everything every day, and that didn't make people happy. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was responsible for the tour. Sure. But I think now things have gotten much better. I think they're opening up as many as 26 companies a day maybe 27, I believe, but it's still shy from you know, the yeah. 30, 31, which doesn't seem like a big difference, but in a city of that size, that's a big difference. Do you have advice for the officers that are out there? Because you were the tour commander of the city, but there are, I mean, even for myself, there's been times where I've been told to do things that I'm like, man, I don't agree with this, and I've objected to it, and you have to do it. But, like, for yourself, like, what were the things that got you through? Because, like, to me, like, browning out a company is not good, but there's a point where the rubber has to meet the road in the position. How do you, as an officer, get through that? Is, is there any tips or tricks for anybody that's out there that's going to have to contend with this in some form? I don't think you ever get through it, to be quite honest with you, because it weighs on you. Because you know if that company's closed, and this happened to me numerous times. I can remember going to fires where the first new engine was closed, the first new ladder pulls up, and they got a fire in a two-story frame going both ways down the block, and they got two water cans. People are jumping out windows. So, I mean, that happened many times. Or the engine would pull up, the truck is off duty, and I got somebody hanging out a fourth floor window, and the tallest, the biggest ladder on the engine is a 24-foot extension. So, I mean, that I would never sit well with me. The only thing I would say or recommend that kind of gave me a little peace of mind is I was big on documentation. I was big on writing reports on this is an unsafe day, unsafe yeah. practices. And would that piss people off of shirt and tie caliber? Absolutely. Did I care? Absolutely not. Uh, not because I wanted to cover my ass. I just wanted them to know that, listen, I'm challenged with the day that you gave me, and we're not ready for it. We don't, we don't have the full battle artillery ready to go. And we did our best. And it was tough because if the engine pulled up, they didn't have the truck, or the truck pulled up, they didn't have the engine. You think you're going to corral it? They're going to slow they, They're still digging in. Sure. And it, I just had to continue to remind the troops, as great as they are, if you don't have somebody coming up your back with a, with a second line, or if you don't have a ladder, then you just got to be mindful of this. As mm -hmm. great as you are, and I love each and every one of you, you got to be remember the bigger picture here. It's, it's, we're going to save the building to the best of the building. Don't forget, you got a wife and two little ones back home. And yeah. that would resonate a little bit in the after action. Yeah. yeah. Talked about a lot. I mean, we've been going. This is, is there No, I'm having a blast. Chief, already an hour in. Well, I'm good. Honest. I'm good. But here's here's where I want to go with this. Um, you know, you uh, 44 years. Yes. 
In, in your 44 years, it's just an outstanding career. A lot of, uh, tons of ups, maybe a few downs, right? But at the end of the day, everything molds and crafts you to who you've become. Uh, retired as a deputy chief of Jersey City. Um, outside of that, that was three years ago, I'm sure you have a lot of side projects going on yes. too. I mean, your, your love for the fire service is certainly evident in everything that you do. So let's talk about a few things. Um, retirement, three years out, you missed the job, you missed, you missed the, the city, you talked about that before. Um, but what are you doing now that's still keeping you in the game? Talk to me about it. Well, thank God I'm able to do what I do because I think I would have had a, a extremely difficult time psychologically retiring. Happens. Yeah, very a lot. much so. Yeah. And I, I had to be ready for it. And when I made the decision, I knew I wasn't going to be able to keep the passion alive. So I'm still able to teach. I, yep. I do work with a company called Promotional Prep. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of preparation in New Jersey, but we have a student base that goes as far out, if you can imagine this, as far as Honolulu. Okay. To help people get promoted for promotional exams. Um, I teach college. I, uh, I teach a, a program at Sussex County Community College up by me in North Jersey. I teach part of their associate's degree. Uh, so that keeps me involved with the newer, yeah. younger people, which is nice to say. Um, I do some teaching for a company out of Chicago, a great area called Carterson Public Safety. Um, I write a couple, did a couple of webinars with him. I do some articles. I work for, I'm on the team uh, of County Fire Tactics. I don't know if you heard of these guys. Yep, of, of course. Oh, Kurt out of Pensacola. <laughs> of course. I mean, uh, he Absolutely. does five conferences a year, and, and the, I think I've been invited to three of them. They are the they're, top shelf conferences. They're high-rise conferences. Yep. Unbelievable. Yep, Pensacola. Yeah. 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 And most recently, and I wanted to mention this because I think it's worth mentioning, because I was a, always a, uh, I always prided myself on being a two plus two equals four type guy. I just started doing some consulting and advisory work for a company out of Buffalo called 3AM Innovations. And I'll just tell you a quick story yeah, about please. these guys. These guys, it's a startup company, um, some high-tech people, but with some fire officers on board as advisors and consultants. And I'm going to tell you quite honestly, I'm sure you're going to hear of them soon, and maybe you may want to talk to them. They're, they're going to change the fire service as it relates to the high-tech management and accountability systems. They're doing things now with, with, within their IP on GPS. So it's, I know GPS is out there. But inertial-type stuff, uh, you know, the, um, the multi-radio frequency capability of being able to put a wearer device on a firefighter and track his every move. I'm talking left to right yeah. in a building, vertically in a high-rise, Low grade in the subway. In addition to that, they have a feature within they, the system is actually called, if you can imagine, it's called the Florian system. Florian, I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah. They have a, a feature within the system and the wearable that they could track your biometrics. So, based on a baseline, if you are operating an incident and they can assess your heart rhythm and rate and you ex exceed your baseline, they will get a signal back at the command post before you have that, God forbid, stress induced heart attack. Yeah. They're working with Darley now on drones, all right, and video cameras on the apparatus where that could be, that the image could be in front of the command post. Sure. They're changing, and I'm had to be happy to be on board, and I'm just a consultant. I just, all I do is sit at the table and say, that ain't gonna work, that ain't gonna work, and they go, and they go back and they fix it, and they go, all right, that would work at three o'clock in the morning now, you know? I try to bring the reality, and there's a group of us on board, a couple of us from Jersey, New York, out in LA, County. Nice. 
And these young guys, these high-tech guys, I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to see them in a very, very big way. I love that. Yeah, 3aminnovations.com. Let's have your listeners check them out. So, that, so that's a cool story. That's a, this is a cool kind of lead into where I want to go with this now, right? Is 44 years of the fire service, you're a traditionalist, man. Yeah. Like tried and true tradition, Halligan, force a door, line goes in, fire goes out, right. we're on the roof, right. we cut holes, we throw ladders. I know where you're going. And go we ahead. go home. Go ahead. And now you're sitting on the on a on a uh, test panel of a technology-driven company that wants to better the fire service through technology. Yes. So cool, because I think too often we get wrapped up in both sides of it, and we never find the workable common ground between tradition and new. Yep. Talk about that. Well, I, you know, it's this is a great question, and panel that I sit on, we're all senior people. When I say senior people, we've been around the block a sure. few times. Company officers, chief officers. And their mindset by bringing us on board, if we can convince them, all right, it's going to actually work. Yeah. In the first few meetings I was in, I, was being, I would be shaking my head. I go, <laughs> thanks, thanks for the flight out to Chicago. We're, uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I would say to the guys, I go, you know, I have enough to do. I can't be sanctioned with, you know, looking at a computer screen but they would make it so easy and measurable that you would want to gravitate to take a glance at the screen. And what they've done, and they've done a great job with this, they realize they're not going to change what we do because we all, I don't care what city or town you're from, we all have a way of managing our resources. Without a doubt. You know, I was, I was big on this because I had the responsibility, I had the rank, I had the bars and the collar. When I put people in the building, I knew where they were somewhere in the footprint. But as the building got a bigger footprint, I would lose them. I know there's some place on the seventh floor. I know there's some place in the sub-basement. Um, but what they have done is not replace what we currently do as simple two plus two equals four guys. They're enhancing it. Right. And they wrap their arms around it. They're letting the technology come in and letting us feather it in on stuff that's measurable. That's going to make a difference. All right? When they did the biometrics thing, I, go, I can't tell you how many friends I lost to stress-induced heart attacks. You know? All too or prevalent. you get to May Day, and you don't know where the guy is, but their icon will pop up and tell you on their system, the Florian system, exactly where the individual is. Yeah. Geographically on the floor, if you know he was on the seaside, I'm looking at this thing. I wish I had that 25 years ago. So, and the nice part about it, one of the co-founders, Patrick, out of Buffalo, he's a volunteer firefighter, and what inspired him is he lost two firefighters in a neighboring department due to a lost, disoriented group of firefighters who just got lost in the mix. Right. And that inspired him and motivated him to hook up with his partner, Ryan, who was a tech guy. Who, When he talks, I have to, like, I have to hold on to the table. Because <laughs> he's so, but he's so articulate that right. I can relate to it. Yep. And he would say, what do you think? And I go, just turn that a little bit. Tweak it. Push that button. Yeah. And, they, and they listen, all right? Because they know if we don't buy into it, as yeah. these old guys, I'm not going to be able to you know, talk to a Boston chief or a chief from a little town in uh, North sure. Dakota or whatever it may be, yeah. uh, because they're going to say, that's, that's too much. I said, no, this part will work, and let me show you how. Yeah. So I'm really happy to be able to sit and listen and talk to these guys because they're outstanding. I, I think, though, too, you, you have an open <coughs> mind. Yes. Um, you know, I know a lot of older guys, a lot of, a lot of salty dogs that uh, – they don't have such an open mind sometimes, you oh, know? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and so you try to find that balance or you find the one or two guys that uh, 
can broker the balance between the, the yeah. new and old, the young and you know the young and old, and and so on. But it's nice to hear that. I think you know having a, a panel of uh, experienced uh, experienced firefighters to take in the the possibility of some new technology to better ourselves. Uh, that's a home run, chief. Yeah. If it's there, you got to wrap your arms around it. Yeah, so how could you I like that? It? That's a good way to put it. A common thread I'm seeing is you said that it was measurable and it was just yes. like you can show that. That totally goes back to your paper trail. So whether it's having somebody drop from a heart attack in a fire or having not enough people to staff a crew on a certain day, like the fact that you show these results, that's what makes it real. And yeah. you're open to logic, and I think that's really great. And it's so you said you're two plus two equals four guy. Oh, I'm like a big it's guy. all yeah. logic driven. I was never a E equals MC squared guy. Even I talked that in my seminars. I said, if you're looking for that, that, I can't bring that. But these guys have brought it to the table for me, and they brought it into a two plus two equals format for an old guy like me to say, you know what, that's going to make a difference today. That part, I want that. And again, I wish I met these guys. I joke at them at a meeting. I said, I must have met you guys 25 years ago, but you were all both in diapers, you know? <laughs> so, but again, 3 a.m. innovations. Uh, Good. They're great. Nice. I'm looking forward to looking forward to hear more about them. Yep. Yeah, I'm so. sure you will. I'm sure you will. That's and cool. And they're up in Buffalo? They're in Buffalo, New York, yeah. They're not so, to get there. So yeah. you got the promotional <laughs> prep. Yes. And all your other projects. Um, I want to talk about something else that got thrown out to me today about uh, about Chief uh, Mike Turpak, um, Flowpath. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I, I think it's... so. I, <laughs> no, I'm okay. I'm prepared for this, but go ahead. Okay. Well, I, and I see you have some notes, too. So if, you, if there's a couple no, no, things no, you want to yeah. hop on, too. But I, I think what, what, the, what the conversation very quickly was, hey, ask Chief Turka, Turpak about the UL <laughs> testing and the Flowpath. Right. And I'll tell you why, because the brief conversation I had was this, is that this is that term that for the last few years now is out there. And I think everybody takes away something different from that Absolutely. term. Absolutely. And I, I, I think there's a disconnect with the conversation. And there's two different camps, obviously, right? right. Then there's some middle ground, yes. right? Can you just, I, I don't have a direct question for you on it. But I do know that you're a traditionalist in the sense that the line goes in, the fire goes out. We've always ventilated. There's always been flow path, if you will. Oh, sure. Right? You, you create the environment. It's a new word. It's a new word right. for something that, that's been going on for a very, very long, long time. time. Long time. So just some takes on it, right? Um, I know where I stand on it, and these guys, I mean, everybody's got their take on it. But I also think that there's a lot of misinformation out there, too. I think it, that it's being packaged by some. Packaged. And, present, and presented in a, in a harmful way. Very good way. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually wrote a program on it called Transitional Attack, Not Always. And I'll say the UL people, uh, Underwriters Lab, you know, Everything they're doing is outstanding. They're yes. doing tremendous work. I mean, I hope they continue doing it. And when they put their stuff out there, they put it out in such a way that, you know, they're telling you, take a look at this. We're just trying to bring some new information to you based on BTU generations and legacy versus modern. Excellent information. And I looked at it and go, wow, this is great intel. But then there would be certain people who were influential. And I mean by influential, it could be a fire officer talking at the kitchen table to his members. It could be an instructor at the academy, or it could be somebody who writes an article, right. let's say, and I, this is the thing that probably set me off on this, and I won't go too far. <laughs> there was a seminar someplace, and I'm not going to mention where. Right, right, it right. was called, We've Been Doing It Wrong. And 
I remember a friend of mine from Atlanta called me. And he told me, I go, I go, your joke. Seriously? And again, that was the premise behind that. that and it, that's not what UL said. No, right. I mean, that's not what they were. They were Correct. just giving you more information in your toolbox to be aware of the dynamics, the changes, you know, the ceiling heights, everything that was causing forests to be much more hotter and violent today. But it was the people who had something on their collar who would get an audience, and now they become like speaking gospel. And I said, well, wait a minute here. That's not exactly what they're saying. And I go, it has a place, but not always. And I said, maybe for your department, maybe because of reduced staffing and long stretches, a big you have to maybe dump your gun in a window. Dark, got it. We've been dumping guns in windows, called darkening it down That's since perfect. I was, you know, since I was 16 years old. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it, absolutely. But I know the fires have changed over the years sure. for some. But I still, you know, and I, I have to bring my backyard up. I still have the old frame of brick tenements. I still have the old balloon frames. They haven't changed. Right. So I still have to, on a lower floor fire and an occupied multiple dwelling, for me, that line's got to get the interior staircase. And I don't care who you are or where you're from, if you have that same building and you, you and I are not going to get along. That's right. But if you have a 4,000 to 5,000 square foot building, it's sticking out three or four windows, and you need to darken it down because you don't have enough people to make that sweep, to make that turn, all the other variables that go with it, it has a place. But again, not always. And my objective by doing that seminar and talking a little bit about it in the book is just to say, hey, listen, listen to everybody and make your own decision, be informed on what works in your backyard. Don't worry about my backyard, worry about your backyard, your staffing, your building dynamics, the setbacks, whatever it may be. Get more information, become more informed, and no one's gonna, I would never allow anyone to tell me you've been doing it wrong. I said, we've been doing pretty good. Right. Yep. Right. Well said, Chief. And I, and I think that's why I wanted to just bring that up because what you mentioned before, how it's packaged. And, you know, a lot of, there's not a lot of new happening in the fire service. Right. It's, but there's a lot of new people coming out to train and teach and talk. And so they're taking old style, throwing something new into it, a new twist or a new title, or you've been doing it wrong, and now they have a whole new program on yeah. it. Yeah. And I, th I think that's, we got to be careful there. Every month, so. We got to be careful because tried and true <coughs> methodology wins. You know, there might be some fine tweaks, but again, it's not, there's no absolutes in this job. No. None. No. But we do know that we need to be an aggressive fire service. The line needs to go in. We need to ventilate. We need to open up. We need to search for fire victims. I'm still a firm believer in, in my time in the fire service. You put a line in the front door. You put a line between fire and people. You protect the primary means of egress. All right, you're going to save more people in my backyard with that line placed in that location more times than putting it in a window from the sidewalk. I just that's my experience. I, I don't think you're going to catch any different opinion here, and that's well said, Chief. Absolutely. So I thank you for your thoughts on that because I know, you know, I I love being able to sit back and talk to guys with the street experience and knowledge and the the pedigree behind them to really take a position on something like mm -hmm. this. And I think it's important because not everything that's out there and not every class that's taught and idea that is given. And I like how you, how you put it all together where whether it's the kitchen table or the local guy at the fire Academy or on a national class scale, the message is getting out. If it's getting out incorrectly or we're putting too much on one emphasis of the argument, 
we're gonna lose. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. I thank you for that. That no, was cool. I'm, I was glad I was able to maintain my temper. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really push you. No, no, I, no. <laughs> I, I say that jokingly. I know uh, that. Of course. It's a of great course. subject. It really is. So I want to ask you, um, with everything that uh, you've done in this incredible career, what's next for for retired uh, chief well, as long as I'm able Michael to walk and talk, I'm going to still you know, write a little bit. I'm Good. still going to talk a little bit. Uh, and I was very lucky. I was very busy doing all this before, the, of course, the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that 2021 is going to be a better year for everyone uh, in a, mon- a number of different ways. So I'll be back out in the teaching circuit. It's starting to get, people are starting to reschedule all the things that we canceled. So I'm going to still be out there as long as I can because I still love what I do. They're very passionate. And you got, yeah, I, I love that. Good. Yeah. So anything else, guys, on the panel for, for the Chief? Because I think tonight was just a fantastic conversation. No, I've had a blast. Um, we're going to have you back again because I this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I really think tonight was just a, a great episode. But um, I want to round out with where can everybody find you? If they want to get a hold of you, how do they contact you? Where? Let's talk about social media for a mm. minute before we even give out your handles and where they can find you. Um, you've been putting a little more and more out. I've seen you on Instagram and Facebook and so on. Yeah. But, um, you know, can you talk about your... This is a good one. Talk about your struggles with that. Oh. How hard is it to... Maybe not hard, but... Uh, what are the challenges? The challenges. Associated with getting into social media. After turning the phone on, you mean? Is that what you're <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I was like, Tucker just got an iPhone like last week. So oh, this really? is, yeah, he's, yeah. you know. I mean, I had a rotary dial phone up until about two months. No, I'm, only, I'm joking <laughs> when I great. say that. Uh, I have, I, we mentioned before we started the uh, program here, I have t- twin daughters. Uh, they're 22 now, but I was like, what's Facebook? Can you help me? Right, right, right. What's Instagram? Can yep. you help me? So, um, you know, and they, they took the phone and they were, you know, they were set up the accounts and whatnot. Here, dad, you're like, yeah, now, now what? Yeah. Yeah. And of course I talked to a couple other colleagues and who were doing a little bit longer than me and what they were doing. And I, I I'm starting to catch on. I kind of like it, you know, good. And I, I'll take pictures of uh, fires, or I'll take snapshots of certain sections of the book chapter, and I'll introduce that with a little story. And I'll, I'll say, look at pages 78, 79, and 80. I'll take a look at this and add to it, make it better. I, I did something like that today on tax credits and strip malls. So, um, and when you see the responses, it's kind of like when you get that feedback, I get a little bit more motivated. All right, I'm going yeah. to do another one in another week. I'll that. do another one in another week. So. Yeah. And because of that, you get a couple more people follow you, and then send me, you know, send me a question on Messenger, and it keeps the dialogue going, keeps the passion alive. So yes. it's another, it's another outlet for me. Yes, it's still be involved. Yeah, I love that. And I love it. I really well, do. I, I want to see more out of you. I'm going to yeah. challenge you with that tonight. I bet you will. Um, outside <laughs> of this, but but I see value in it because I think, and and this is how we started this conversation. Um, you know, there's there's certain people in this business that deserve attention. And we need to get the attention there on the level on the on the playing fields and the the platforms that people are paying attention to and listening to. Right. And I think, Chief, that you have an incredible message to share. Whether it's everything packaged under this hard binder of your book, or it's your just personal experiences that haven't even made it to the second to the third edition yet. Mm-hmm. Right. I think you have stories to share that can better all of us as a fire service and, and myself as an individual firefighter. So I challenge you to put more out. More is good. Absolutely. And we'd well, love to I, say I it. appreciate that. Yeah. I promise you I will. Good. Good. Well. All right. So where can we find you? If people want to reach out, they want to do a class with you, they want to just send you a question, they want to ask well, you who get... does your hair, like <laughs> who, where can they find you? I got a whole team of people. Yeah. Um, 
You can catch me on Instagram at Mike Turpak, obviously. Uh, Facebook, Mike Turpak Fire Service Training and Consulting. You can email me at firegroundsizeupmt at gmail.com. Um, it's probably the three best ways to reach awesome. out. And, you know, I'll definitely get back to you and share a story, help you with a class, whatever I can do. I just love love doing it. Yeah. As, uh, obviously, everyone here does. Well, and, and listen, tonight I think was fantastic. Uh, what a great episode. This is one of our first episodes really back from COVID, back yeah. in the studio. Um, so for you to be here tonight and your willingness to be a part of this, thank you. Oh, thank um, you for the invite. Yeah. Please, open invite anytime. Um, Chief Turpak, thank you. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, we'll put we'll get all your handles up on our social media so everybody will know where to find you um, and so on. And uh, I challenge you with your social media, and I just want to say thank you. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you tonight for the first time. Yes. Right. Looking forward to a long friendship together here with National Fire Radio and the rest of the crew. Yes. But uh, looking forward to our next, uh, next go-around. It was great. And I had, uh, I had an excellent... Excellent time. Thank cool. you so much. Good. Guys, for everybody listening, thank you so much. I always let Rob take us out. You got this? Yeah, man. I got it. I thought he was sleeping. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would never allow that, never allow that never to happen. Allow that. Not yeah. in the front row. Yeah. No. Not in the front row. <laughs> Not in the front I was row, watching everybody. Rob the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody, this is Rob from National Fire Radio who's been paying attention the old, whole time. I'm like Tucker. Uh, no, but seriously, everybody, thanks for joining us tonight. Retired Deputy Chief. Michael Turpat, Jeremy, Heather, myself, and the old man. <laughs> Have a good one. Take care, guys. Thank you so much.